In the story of David, we see a foreshadowing of the coming kingdom of the Messiah. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. David's kingdom was sometimes a reflection of that coming kingdom, sometimes a poor reflection. But what we're going to see is a time of battle and David trying to take the throne with some opposition. We'll look at how that played out and some of the brutality of it and the lessons we can learn. That's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Abner made him, Ishbosheth, king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, even over all Israel. Now remember, Saul and his family were from the tribe of Benjamin. So who made Ishbosheth king? Well, it was Abner. What was Abner's motivation to make Ishbosheth king? Well, here's part of it. David had a commander already. We're going to meet him. His name is Joab. And Abner, if David becomes the king, has lost his position and his job. Think about the shadow that David casts. The religious leadership of Jesus' day knew that he was the Messiah. They knew it. They could not deny his miracles. They could not deny his power. They even knew that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. But the reason that they would not accept him as their king was that he threatened what? Their positions. Their, their ability to make wealth. Their power. Many of them were in league with Rome. Rome was giving them enough flexibility where they could rip off the people with the bazaar, the, what they did in the temple area. Jesus went in there, turned over the tables. He said, this house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. They said, oh, we don't like this man. They tried to question him. They tried to see if he would give proper answers. And then they asked him no more questions. Because never did a man speak like him. He shut him down every time. He put him in their place. And they knew who he was and they killed him anyway. In fact, that's why they killed him. Do you know that? Jesus tells a parable where he says, he puts words in their mouth where they say, this is the heir, come let us, what? kill him. He was a threat to them. And Abner becomes a type of the religious leader. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began, when he became king over Israel. And he was king for two years. He's going to be assassinated. The house of Judah, however, followed David. Now here you have a divide. Here you have a nation divided. Some are following the anointed one and some are following this son of Saul, which on a human level, makes sense. The son who survives should be the king, right? Wrong. Jonathan already knew that David was the king. Jonathan's dead now. Ishbosheth has no business reigning over the people. In fact, he wouldn't even be on the battlefield with his father. Why? Was he too weak? Perhaps. Was he, did they leave him at home just in case? Maybe. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You will cling to the one and hate the other, love the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
We are faced with this all the time. We have Ishbosheth over, over here, and we have David or the greater David Jesus over here, and constantly we have to decide to which king will we bow today? What throne will we bow before? Every day we have to decide. And so there's a division. Now, and, and the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Little debate about the timing here, but I would just say this, that it may be that as wars were going on, it took some time for Ishbosheth to take the throne, but Abner did it, I don't think because of Saul's death, I think because of David's ascension. I think it's a, a counter move. Now, Abner, the son of Ner, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. This is about a 50-mile journey. They would cross the Jordan and go south with the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. So now they are moving. And Joab, now Joab is David's commander. We're going to see him take a prominent role as the book unfolds. The son of Zu, that, that person. You can write down 1 Chronicles 2.16. Zuruai. Uh, <laughs> anyway. And the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So you have the two armies now moving. How did Joab hear about Abner being on the move? I don't know. But he had set up this puppet king in this location. And David had been set up in Hebron. And one army starts moving. They cross the Jordan. They start moving south. Joab starts moving north. And we're going to have a collision. And it may be that Joab got word. It was about a 25-mile trip for Joab and the soldiers and about 50 miles for the other guys. And so they meet at a pool. This is, uh, notice, they sat down on one side of the pool and the other on the other side. So this is uh, a body of water that's there, not a pool as we would think of it today. And they're on opposite sides of a, something like a reservoir, the reservoir of Gibeon, to provide some separation in space. Looking at each other. We've all probably watched battle movies where for a while the two armies are there and you kind of wonder who's going to fire the first shot. What, what's going to be the action point? Who's going to, you know, cause the fighting to begin? And Abner takes the lead, verse 14. He says to Joab, Now let the young men arise and hold a contest before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So Abner says, Okay, we've looked at each other long enough. We've had our iced tea. It's, <laughs> it's time to get up and get some action going. So let's have a contest, Okay. The word contest in Hebrew, by the way, can have the idea of entertainment. It can suggest amusement or even a lighthearted joust or competition. And so notice what happens. So they arose and went over by count 12 for Benjamin, that is Saul's side, if you will, and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. Now, there's the number 12. What do you think they may be saying with the number 12? There's 12 tribes in Israel, right? So they may be saying, look, we're going to have representatives from each group. We'll use the number 12 because both men want to be king. And so we'll have 12 from this group and 12 from that group. And let's, let's let them settle it. Almost like when David took on Goliath, right? We'll just let two warriors beat it out. And if we win, you become our slaves. And if you win, we'll become your slaves. It's a representative battle. But it seems to be at least implied that it might be lighthearted at first. I remember some years ago... Uh, we, our youth group went out and played a broom hockey game in one of these ice rinks. Any, anybody ever play broom hockey? Oh, it's a glorious thing. N not really. Anyway, 
And so they had a ball and they had brooms. And we were playing another church. And all of a sudden, what was supposed to be a friendly game of broom ball, because you know how people are very calm in competitive situations, especially Christians, right? Right? So all of a sudden, it got a little rough out there in broom ball. People were throwing shoulders. People were saying, my church is better than your church. And one of our guys, we were coaxing him to come out on the ice. And he's kind of, you know, he had a, his shoes, you know, casual shoes on. And he was on the outskirts of the rink where everything's safe. And we're like, come on, come on and play. He steps onto the ice. And one of the big bruisers from this other church set his sights on him. And he hit him. And it was not a light hit. And he cascaded into the boards and broke his collarbone. Collarbone was sticking out. And Pastor Michael had to try to step in. <laughs> they were like, hey, let's calm it down. This guy was in agony. He was on the ice for about 10 seconds at our coaxing. I include myself in that. Come on. Come and play. It'll be fine. It wasn't fine. So here's what happened. The bell rang. They moved from the two sides of the pool. Somebody said, let's get ready to rumble. But each one of them, 16, seized his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. And so they fell down together, 24, dead. Seemingly in a moment of time. They fell down together. What's the one Rocky movie where they slug it out? It seems like it's never ending, punch after punch, and then they both fall down at the same time. Well, these 12 on each side put their swords through one another, and they all fell down together. They all died. Therefore, that place was called Helketh Hatsarim. It means the field of sharp edges or daggers or stone knives, which is in Gibeon. They all fell down. Now you would think that that would be the end, right? Like, oh my goodness, look what's happened. This is, this is not good. But notice, and that day the battle was very severe and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now the three sons of Zuriah, <laughs> I can't even say, I'm going to work on that during services. Anyway, who was a sister of David, uh, so these are family members of David, were there uh, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. Asahel was, a swift, was as swift-footed as one of the gazelles which is in the field. Now, they, they say that what would happen often is that a swift-footed, fast person would often be a messenger. So they would carry messages and use their speed. Well, this is what Asahel was, but Asahel pursued Abner. He, he locked his sights on Abner and he said, I, I'm going after him. I'm, I'm going to take out their leader. He did not turn to the right or to the left from following after Abner. Now, Abner was moving away. The battle was not going well for him. And Asahel said, aha, I'm going to take him out. So he used his speed. Abner is trying to get away. And he, uh, you know, we would say Asahel has wheels, man. He was a fast guy. And Abner looked behind him and said, is that you, Asahel? And he answered, it is I. And so Abner said to him, turn to your right or to your left. Take hold of one of the young men for yourself. Maybe implying, you know, fight somebody who's going to be a match for you. Take his spoil. The New King James says, take his armor for yourself. And maybe that he had no armor on. But Asahel was not willing to turn aside from following him.
And Abner repeated again to Asahel, and he said, turn aside. Hey folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth, and one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. And Abner looked behind him and said, is that you, Asahel? And he answered, it is I. And so Abner said to him, turn to your right or to your left. Take hold of one of the young men for yourself. Maybe implying, you know, fight somebody who's going to be a match for you. Take his spoil. The New King James says, take his armor for yourself. It may be that he had no armor on. But Asahel was not willing to turn aside from following him. And Abner repeated again to Asahel, and he said, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? Now Asahel was fast, but he was no match for a commander like Abner. However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the belly with the butt end of the spear, so that the spear came out of his back. And he fell there and died on the spot. And it came about that all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. They were stunned. Now back in the day when they had battle spears, they would apparently sharpen both ends. And the one end you would sharpen so you could thrust it into the ground and be able to pull it out at any time for battle. So Abner used one of the oldest tricks in the book. Asahel had this incredible speed. Abner knew he wasn't going to get away from him. So finally he stopped and Asahel was coming and he just turned the spear around and Asahel was thrust through. Battle and war is never pretty, is it? And now he lay dead. And as the others came upon him and they looked, they looked with stunned silence. And Joab and Abishai, now these are the other family members who remained, pursued Abner. You can understand, they had, they had blood in their eyes. And when the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Ammah, which is in front of Gia, by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And the sons of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner. So now other men gather, they're on the hill there. They became one band. And they stood on the top of a certain hill. And there is the brothers, Abishai, Joab and Abishai. And they've come now, for the moment of truth. What's going to happen? Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the end? How long will you refrain from telling the people to turn back from following their brothers? Now Abner sounds like a reasonable guy. He's speaking peace over the situation. He's saying, look, we got to stop this fighting. That sounds good, Abner, but you're the one that started the whole thing. Have you ever noticed that sometimes people are good at stirring it up? And stopping it just when they're going to be in trouble? I mean, think about it for a second. Abner was losing. The, the battle had gotten difficult. He's the one that stirred it up, and now he's the, he's the, the calm mind. Oh, let's stop it now, now that I might get killed. <laughs> now, now we want things to be calm. Hopefully, when we're in situations in everyday life, we don't stir it up and then try to calm it down. Amen? Now here's going to be a little bit of a three-point 
message on how to resolve conflict. I pull from verse 26. Number one, take a look. Are we going to fight forever? <laughs> look, we're going to do this on one of our upcoming 2B1 nights, but let me just say to you, if you're in a conflict with someone, somebody at some point has to say, let's take a time out. Maybe what we need to do is break for a moment from this battle because we're going to end up killing each other and let's cool down and we'll come back together and talk it out when uh, calmer heads can prevail. Everybody with me? Somebody has to say, let's take a T.O. I think that's a good practice. Number two, look at verse 26. Do you not know that it will be bitter in the end? How many conflicts do we get into where it goes back and forth and back and forth? And if we were just able to look at the end, sometimes it feels good in the moment to barb somebody back. They get you. You get them back. Ah, ah, yeah, ah. And then you start asking some bigger questions like, you know, we are married. Uh, <laughs> this is probably not going to end well. It might ruin our week a little bit. I don't know. What do you think? Take a couple of days. See, we get caught up in the moment and we forget that the people we love the most are not our enemies. Amen? Brenda and I, we have a wonderful marriage. We were at a family life conference and at one point of the conference, they asked you to turn to your spouse, look them in the eye and say, you are not my enemy. Now, Brenda and I were kind of giggling because... You know, our marriage was at a good place and everything was fine. But there were some couples in the room you could cut the tension with a knife because they were sitting next to their enemy. And just the movement of the neck was hard. Hey, if this keeps going this way, it's going to be bitter in the end. How long will you refrain from telling the people to turn back from following who? Their brothers. This, their family. This is the nation of Israel. They got enough problems from other nations. Why kill themselves? But you know, the Christian church is pretty good at this. We got enough enemies, amen? We got enough problems out there, but we end up often killing ourselves. Christians are the only one that ones that have their firing squads in a circle. Have you noticed? <laughs> Why do we do that? Oh, I know we got to fight battles for essential things, but we're family. Well, revenge will come later, but Joab says, as God lives, 27, if you had not spoken, surely then the people would have gone away, withdrawn, in the morning, each from following his brother. The NIV has it, as surely as God lives, if you had not spoken, the men would have continued the pursuit of their brothers until morning. The Hebrew is a little difficult here. It may be that at your word, yes, we're going to heed it, or it may be that Joab is saying, if you hadn't started this thing this morning, we wouldn't be here now. And this is the old blame shift, right? Here's another thing to consider with conflict resolution. We usually don't get very far if we say, you know, if you wouldn't have started this in the first place. You know how kids do this in the backseat of the car? 
He's touching me. He's touching me. You're like, stop it. He started it. No, he started it. No, he started it. He started it. He said, I'm going to finish it. <laughs> I brought you into this world. And I can take you out. <laughs> so, Joab, here's another point. Some of us need to get some trumpets. Joab blew the trumpet and all the people halted and pursued Israel no longer, nor did they continue to fight anymore. They sell, at some Christian stores, they have these trumpets. If you find yourself in a fight, you just blow it. I'm just kidding, they don't have such a thing, but it sounds like a pretty good idea. Don't you think it would halt a lot of fights? What if you went into your kid's room and you heard them fighting, went in there with a trumpet? Wouldn't that be awesome? Everybody would freak out. Those of you who are inventors out there, you might want to consider that as an idea. Abner and his men then went through the Arabah all that night. So they crossed the Jordan walking all morning and came to Mahanaim. So back to their original location, Saul's guys or Ishbosheth's guys. Joab returned from following Abner when he gathered all the people together. 19 of David's servants besides Asahel were missing. So David's side had 20 dead. David's not part of this, neither is Ishbosheth. The servants of David had struck down many of Benjamin and Abner's men so that 360 men died. In the end, David lost 20. Saul's side lost 360. And this is a sign of things to come because David is going to get stronger and Ishbosheth is going to get weaker. So for every one man that fell on David's side, 18 fell on Ishbosheth's side. That's probably why Abner's asking for a truce when he does. And they took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in, note it, Bethlehem. Then Joab and his men went all night until the day dawned at Hebron. They returned back to base camp, if you will. But first they stopped in a place called Bethlehem and buried a man named Asahel. Some 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, there was a miracle birth. That wasn't the only thing that happened in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was David's hometown. He was anointed at Bethlehem. Bethlehem is at the core of the story of the book of Ruth. And Bethlehem is the place where Asahel is buried. It's also the burial place of Rachel right in that area. And it's the place where Jesus was born in the house of bread. I would like you to turn all the way to the book of Hebrews and we're done. Hebrews chapter 2. Let's look at some things about our great king who was born in Bethlehem to deal with all the conflict, all the problems, Hebrews chapter 2. And the question is, will he be your king? Here's what it says of this great king who was born in Bethlehem. Verse 9, Hebrews 2. But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus because of the suffering of death, Hebrews 2.9, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Since then, skip down to verse 14, the children share in flesh and blood, we are human. He himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. He became human. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. 
and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. It interests me that Asahel is buried in Bethlehem, a place where Christ enters the scene to save us. And, you know, when we put someone in a grave, it's a difficult situation because the questions inevitably come. Will I ever see them again? Is this an ending point or a doorway? Is there hope beyond the grave? Is this life just about whatever amount of years you get and it's over? And Bethlehem says, no, it's not over. There's a God who loves you, who entered into our pain, who was born on a starry night in Bethlehem. And his name, Emmanuel, means God with us. For all the messes that we create, all the conflicts that we have, all the battles to really decide who's going to be our king. Is it Jesus or Ishbosheth or somebody else? Hopefully we can decide as the church, you are my king, I'm going to follow you. And I think when we do that, the world changes. Father, help us in these areas of our lives. As we look at this account, we see the struggle. You've taught us to pray, Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done. Help us, Lord, as we've been looking at the kingdom of God to realize that we have a part to play. We can be people who advance the kingdom, who uh, reflect the kingdom and its values. Lord, thank you for your patience with us when we fail, when we get in conflicts with one another, when we don't reflect very well the king and the kingdom. But thank you that you're doing a work in all of our hearts let it start in our families, our marriages. Let it ripple out to our churches and let it ripple out to our city, our state, and our country. Thank you that there's so many wonderful servants of the King here at Living Truth who have taken that mantle seriously and they want to follow you. Help us in our areas of weakness, Father. Help us in areas where we fall short. Thank you for your grace, which is more than sufficient, but help us to move forward by grace as well. And with your head and heart bowed, if you've not met the king, you've not known his saving grace, you're not sure you're in the kingdom, trust in him and him alone today. Something like this with your head and heart bowed, Jesus, be my king, be my savior, be my Lord, be my friend. Lead me and guide me, Lord, I wanna know you. I want to know the power of the kingdom. I want to even know what it means to suffer with you. Thank you for your death on the cross. I believe you died for me, your resurrection. I believe you rose. I repent of following my own kingdom and I follow you. Lord, for those who are recommitting their lives, for the precious saints who are just wanting to get closer to you today, may you bless them. May you encourage them. May you strengthen them. May you be their refuge and their strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app Search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. 
You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.